appreciate that, Noel. Had come down to the letter V. And I suppose there's some things we could do, like victory and other things like that. But I'm going to talk about a word that you won't find in the English in our Bible, but you find a lot of teaching about this, and that's the word values. Values is a word that we use all the time today. And we use it in religious circles, and we use it in church, and, and so forth. And we ought to think about it. Uh, in contrast to the word moral or morals, we have values and we have morals. And there's a reason why we don't like to talk about morals and morality, but we like to talk about values. And so we're going to look at it both from a, a negative and from a positive uh, point of view a little bit. Some time ago, the Wall Street Journal uh, did a poll and said 43% of Americans said our country's social and economic problems stem from a decline in moral values. Then it says more than 75% said that they felt that traditional values had grown weaker. Furthermore, when asked why they were going to college, 75% of freshmen simply said to make more money, not to get an education, to learn anything, but to make money, because that's their value. But notice how the word moral and the word value are kind of mixed here a little bit. What are your values? You know, somebody said, uh, what are your values about this, about that? We may find all kinds of different levels of interest or ownership or whatever. If I said, what, what are our morals, we ought to find it all on the same level, right? And we would go to the scripture to find that and say, this is moral, this is not. But when it comes to values, hey, we can uh, pretty much be what we want to be. This went on, this uh, uh, report from this uh, uh, poll went on and said, what does the word values mean? Simply put, it is those things that are important to a person or an institution. Given the above statistics, we are clearly in the middle of a values crisis. We are becoming people without rudders, without vision, and with values that have very little value at all. This, in turn, has given birth to a social disease called silent sabotage. Silent sabotage is not one problem, but many. It is a turned-off, disenfranchised society that gives up in silent disapproval. It's a worker who comes in late and goes home early, uh, earlier or later than uh, she did 10 years ago. It's people at work who just don't care, so, so forth. Well, uh, I've, I had a, when I pulled this file out, I, I had a quote from Stephen Mueller, who was the president of Johns Hopkins University some years ago, who said, the biggest failure, failure in universities is to teach values. This is the president of a large secular school, of course. And he said, universities today are turning out highly skilled barbarians. Highly skilled barbarians. And, and it is true, isn't it? I mean, we, knowledge really has increased, like the Bible said it would in the end time. We have access to more knowledge and access to more expertise and, and things than we ever did before. 
I mean, uh, how many of you live and die on a smartphone? Well, not all of you, but, uh, but some, uh, because uh, you're, if you're like me, your phone's smarter than you are. So I ask it things, you know? I have this little command, okay, Google, what is this? And it talks to me and tells me and says, you dummy, it means this. I mean, we have access to so many things, but are we really just educated barbarians? I mean, I'm, I hate to complain or, or, uh, too much, but, you know, I, I like March Madness. I, I'm a college basketball fan in March. I don't hardly watch it at all up to that time. But we get to the tournaments, and I kind of like to watch the tournaments. And I've, you know, got two or three teams that I like, and, hey, Kansas is hanging in there, you know, and so forth. So I like to, I like to watch. But I'm, I'm looking at these college kids, and, and uh, you know, some of them look kind of like the old National Geographic magazines when I was growing up with the natives with the bones in their nose and the hair sticking up, you know, and paint all over their body, I, you know. But these are, I mean, can, was it Kansas? No, Duke played Yale. You know, Yale University, supposed to be the most educated kids in the world. and They kind of look like that, too. I mean, you know, so... so you know, maybe, maybe we are, as uh, Mueller said, raising uh, highly skilled barbarians. But when it comes to values, when it comes to how do they live their life? What kind of language do you use? What kind of manners do you have? We may say uh, it's quite a bit different in, in a generation's time. And, you know, folks, um, really... Um, the faster our, our capacity to learn, the, the faster information grows, it seems like the faster values fall. Uh, something about having more access to everything that we have access to basically gives us maybe access to the rotten things of this world and, and all society just kind of follows it. Who knows? You know, I remember... Uh, being in Russia with my father-in-law, which was the Soviet Union, you know, and for 70 years under communism. And then it kind of came out from under that. And the churches, had they had to be underground. They were persecuted. People were in prison and so forth. But when the wall went down and Russia had access to the rest of the world, guess what? The, the whole society goes downhill. Uh, and, and all of the, not some of the good things from the West came flooding in, but so did all the bad things. Pornography, cults, uh, drugs, uh, everything that no one wants to live under communism and the rules that they had, but it was basically an antiseptic society. And then all of a sudden the wall went down and everything from the, the, the Western world where all we have all this freedom came rushing in. And boy, everything went down. The churches were alarmed because this is what was happening now to their kids and their society and now their schools and everything else. And, and uh, even now, Russia, uh, you know, well, some, a few years ago now, but between then and now, uh, over 50% of their gross national product was controlled by the mafia because they had just taken over and, and controlled everything. So, uh, so this is a problem. Now, w again, we don't, 
we don't like in our society to talk about morals too much. You know, don't push your morality on me. That's, you know, your right-wing morality or whatever, uh, you know, it is. But we sure talk about values a lot. But values, if, if you think about it, value is a moral relativism. If I say, what are your values, all I'm asking is, where have you landed in your view of such a such a, uh, a subject? You know, consider abortion, for example. You know, we ought to be talking about abortion in moral terms, right? This is life. This is what, what God has said. But we talk about it in values, you know, uh, protecting a woman's body as if that's a value that overrides any moral uh, problem here, you know? So we do that. There, there's a commercial that says, you deserve a break today. What was that? Uh, anyway, I thought of the word deserve because now I hear that word deserve all the time in commercials. Do you, if you stop and think about it, uh, I'll put this bug in your ear and then you'll hear it. But every product now, you deserve this. You know, you deserve this in your life. You deserve having this. You deserve to have this. And I say to myself, we do? How do you know I deserve it? Maybe I'm a moral wretch and I don't deserve anything. But you tell me, oh, you deserve this, you know. So because we have this idea that you have your own relative values and it doesn't make any difference what anybody else thinks about you. You deserve it. You, you deserve a break today, whatever that, I forget where that came from. All right, so understand, first of all, that, that when, if we were talking morals, we would be talking the law of God, right? We'd be talking the Ten Commandments. We'd be talking those kinds of things that thus saith the Lord. And a society that's built on moral law and their, and their civil law has grown out of the moral law, which is why we say that, our law is based on the Ten Commandments, or our law is based on the law of God. Because basically we're saying there's black and white. There's right and wrong. There are things that are just morally wrong, and we cannot do them. But if we talk about values, we've, we've backed off from that and made it individual. And we each have our own values. And so uh, uh, one family could have values like this and another family have values like this. One person can have these kinds of values and another person can have these kinds of values. Now, since that's true, understand also that values can be good or bad, right? So values becomes what you, what you make of them. Kind of like your conscience, you know, when we talk about, well, you have, a, uh, you have a conscience, but if you have trained that conscience a certain way, then you will allow these kinds of things in your life. If another person has trained their conscience to say, no, when I see that or hear that, that's wrong. I won't go there. But one person does, another person doesn't. And why? Because they've, because they've trained their conscience either to say yes or no. And so as we do that, we form values, and you have trained yourself to have these values. So those of us who are believers, we believe God's word, 
And since we have this absolute word, this law, we study it, and we can be right or wrong about it, sure, but I mean, we study the word of God because we know whatever it says is right. Whatever it says, that's what we should do. Maybe we misunderstand it, and, we, and we're corrected later, or maybe we have differences about what it says on a particular subject. Okay, but what we do agree on is whatever it says, it's right. Whatever it says, that, that's absolute with God. But imagine then living in a world where you don't have such an anchor. You don't have such a bottom line. There is no bottom line. And so you really are the, the, the foundation, the bottom line for whatever is right and wrong in your life. And, and if that's true, then uh, even in a society, we're going to have a hard time convincing somebody that's right and wrong. And so I go back to the subject of, of abortion because I think in our lifetime, that has been probably the, uh, the major, uh, what you say, example of violating a moral principle, but doing it because of our own values. And so when that started, uh, you know, and, and uh, by the way, which as Howard has, has uh, told us uh, before, the Supreme Court decided this was our value, right? It wasn't our law. They just said, we, th we think this can be, this can be done and, and then all of a sudden we practice it that way. And if somebody even says, we're going to take this away from you, oh, you can't do that. That's the law of our land. And really isn't. It's just what the Supreme Court said uh, their opinion was. But, you know, you and I believe, I hope you believe, that the Bible presents life as sacred before God and as starting at conception. I mean, even in the very conception of Jesus Christ in Mary's womb, here is the very Son of God. And so, since you and I believe that, we believe that you cannot then destroy that life, because in that life is a soul that is going to live forever. Even in that embryonic stage, there is all the DNA there, there is all of the future. There is life, a soul from God. And if you, if you kill that body, you have sent that soul into an eternity. Now, we believe children are safe in the Lord and praise the Lord for that. But, but you know what I'm saying. So to, to you and me, this is murder. You cannot destroy a life that has God's image in it on purpose. That's murder. But then, how do people do it? How does a woman say, I'm more important than, than you are. I am more important than that life. So I will take that life for my sake. Because I, I don't want to fool with it. I want to be more comfortable. I don't want this problem in my life. So I'm going to take your life to give my life more space. And if, we're, if you were saying that about a grown person immediately we'd say, oh, that's terrible. It can't be because of morality. Even if a person says, well, I, you know, personally, I, I think it's all right. My values say your life doesn't matter and mine does. We would say, oh, that's, ter that's a terrible value. But isn't that exactly what we're saying? Yeah. 
But why? Because we have a bottom line. We have a foundation that, that tells us at a certain place, beyond this, it is absolutely wrong. It is immoral before God. Now, you know, some people don't care about that either, of course, and some people don't care what God said, even if they understand what God said. Uh, but we do. So we, we train ourselves to read God's Word. We train ourselves to do that so that we have this moral foundation. And that applies in so many areas. It applies in our thoughts. It applies in, uh, with our mouth. It applies with our eyes, with what our hands and feet do. Uh, it applies all over the place. And so as we go one way or another, it's, a, it's that morality of the Word of God that stops us and says, you can't say that. You can't use that word. And so we stop. But if uh, we say, well, everybody around me is using that word, and it's kind of more accepted today than it used to be, and you try it out once, and your conscience kind of bothers you, but then you try it out again, and it's better. You try it out, and pretty soon you're using that word because you have, you have violated your moral principle and are developing a value in your life. Okay, now, having said that, I'm going to do this real quickly. Uh, I have... Uh, Four, four things on a negative uh, and, uh, perspective and four things on a positive perspective. And, and the, these first four, I would call them how values can make you fit in, even though they're wrong. <laughs> you can use value to your advantage, even though they are wrong. They'll help you fit into this world if you'll do it that way. So the first one... I'm taking from Isaiah 14, where Lucifer himself says, I will ascend to the heavens. I will take the place of God. I will be like the Most High God. Remember Isaiah 14? So the, number, the first one is values can be tailor-made to fit you as an individual. Morals can't. Morals apply to everybody. Moral, uh, if a thing's wrong, it's wrong for you and it's wrong for me. But values can be tailor-made to fit you. So Satan began the value of selfishness. Selfishness came from Lucifer when he said, I will be like the Most High God. I will be like this. And he went to, he went to Adam and Eve and said, and if you will do this, you will be like this. And that idea of selfishness then began there, and so Satan adopted it, and he became Satan because of it, and his whole existence now is formulated about he's the father, he's, he's a liar and the father of it, because he tailor-made it to fit him. And then Adam and Eve did the very same thing. So, a selfish value is whatever you decide is important to you, regardless of the cost. It cost Satan quite a bit, and it's going to cost him in eternity quite a bit. It cost Adam and Eve quite a bit. And you know what? Your value, it may help you fit into this world. Maybe your neighbors will like you more. Maybe your friends will you know, invite you over more or whatever. If you adopt their values, as long as you don't care about right and wrong, you know, if you just need to do it. Okay, um, 
I had another quote from Stanley Fish from Duke University, who's a liberal uh, thinker, of course, said, someone is going to be restricted next, and it is your job to make sure that someone is not you. Someone's going to be restricted by morality, see, right and wrong. You make sure it's not you. You make sure they don't put that moral straitjacket on you. This is what's being taught at our kids uh, at the university. Secondly, a second way to fit in is values can be profitable in any person's business. Values can be profitable in your business. You know, in, in Acts 19, and matter of fact, there's lots of these in the book of Acts, but in Acts 19, remember when, when Paul came to certain places and he preached the gospel, but when he did, uh, or Acts 16, did I say 19? Acts 16. When he did, he got in trouble because uh, he got in trouble with the businessmen of the community because what he was doing was uh, hurting their business. So he comes to, to Philippi in Acts 16, and he casts a demon out of a girl, and uh, their business begins to be hurt. So verse 19 says, when, when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither observe being Romans. Or you could go to chapter 17, you know, where... Uh, you know, the, the worship of Diana or Artemis, the worship of the great goddess Diana is in trouble, and we better not let these men uh, change our customs, you know. So what I'm saying is, if you, follow, if you have strict values and moral values, it could cost you in your business. But if you're willing to stretch your values to be like the world around you, you may do better business. We, we had a fella come to our church um, out in Colorado. Year, it's been years ago now, but uh, he was a, an insurance salesman. And, uh, you know, we need insurance salesmen, and, and obviously in any business there's good and bad. But, he, but we were talking, and I was trying to get to know him. He was just attending our church, and... and uh, Basically, he was talking about how he can sell a person a product that they don't really need <laughs> by, by telling them this or that. And I'm thinking to myself, really? So why would you do that? Well, because I need to for my business. Yeah, but it's not honest, is it? Well, it is if my wife and I need an income. So it's honest for me because I need the income. I said, yeah, but it's not honest for them. Well, they have their values and I have mine, kind of, is the way it was. So, I, hey, you could, I don't want to pick on that or use car salesmen or anybody else, but, I mean, you, you know, every business can do that, right? Uh, any business can uh, cheat you for the sake of making money, not tell you the whole story, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, a repairman comes in and you think he does a good job, but he cuts corners and he does it because he can make, you know, he can cut a little off of his inventory, charge you a lot 
and you find out that he made a lot of money and you got gypped, you know. But hey, that's the way it can be. So um, that's number two. I got to move on. Number three, uh, values can be a corrective tool for the family. Values can be a corrective tool for the family. Uh, I have down here Matthew 12, 46 and Mark 3, 21. Those are verses where, and there are many like this, where Jesus' own family was upset with what he was doing. You remember those verses where uh, even Mary and his brothers and sisters standing outside saying, we want to talk with you. <laughs> Why are you doing this? And his brothers at one point say to him, if you, if you really are who you say you are, then go down to Jerusalem and show yourself publicly to everybody down there, which, of course, Jesus did later, but not at behest of his brothers. And, we've, and then we get this note, that's because his brothers were not yet even believers in him. Well, you know, Jesus' family is lost at the time. And uh, in Mark 3.21, you even have the expression, they said, he's beside himself. We say, he's crazy. Can you imagine the, you know, the brothers of Jesus saying about Jesus, he's crazy. That's why he's doing this. By the way, one of them being James, who later writes the book of James. One of them being Jude, who later writes the book of Jude. James uh, you know, becomes the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He's crazy. <laughs> From that, uh, of course, to being followers and believers. But why were they doing that? Because he was about to change their life, and this was going to cost them dearly. He was about to change their whole family relationship. He was about to change everything they, they practiced uh, as a family. And they were resisting it for a while, resisting it quite, quite a bit. So... Uh, what happens if a person gets saved and wants to follow Christ, and that's not what the family has always done? That's not the religion we've always been in our, in our family. That's not, I, I witnessed to a fellow, actually he's a policeman in, in uh, Smithville this week, and talked to him about uh, his family, and he's engaged to a girl, and he went to her brother's wedding with her, and they're Mormon. And he kind of said, he goes to an evangelical church. I said, well, you know, <laughs> you know what Mormons are, don't you? You know, well, you know, we, I, I would just want my kids to grow up to have all the choices and choose what they believe. And I said, I don't think so. You know, how about Islam? You want them to grow up and have that choice too? Well, <laughs> so anyway, so, you know, what happens if a person gets saved and you're in a family like Mormons, or Islam especially, and then all of a sudden you don't have the same values that they have anymore, you know? It's a lot easier to adapt their values and just be like that. How many times have you heard someone, uh, you know, a, a saved, born-again boy or girl marry an unbeliever, maybe out of a Catholic family or something like that, and then they end up going there to keep peace in the home, right? Keep peace in the family. This is why, of course, the Bible instructs us marry believers, and, and I think we could probably figure out in the scripture too, and marry one that comes from your faith. 
so you don't have these problems. We had a girl in our, our church out in Colorado. She is a great single girl in a single class, kind of like we have here. She was a university student, and she met this guy, and he was a nice guy, and she really liked him. And uh, he went to a church over in Greeley. We live in Fort Collins. But he went to a, a charismatic church is all. Now, charismatic church is in an evangelical ballpark with us anyway, but they had those differences about all the charismatic doctrines, and she really liked this guy. And finally, she broke it off. This was Gina. And she came to me and, and said, said, Pastor, uh, I just broke it off with him. I said, why? She said, I don't want to have those differences all my life with my husband. Isn't that great to hear somebody like that say something like that? By the way, then God brought us a young man named Bill who was a Ph.D. student and became a meteorologist and is now a weatherman up in, uh, I think they're in Iowa, and have a beautiful family, and so God provided, see. Okay, so uh, a lot of times, uh, well, we don't go there. There's a lot, lot to say that, that way, but you can imagine all the problems that come that way. Fourthly, uh, about values in a negative way, values can be a corrective tool for a society. And that's what we're seeing happening in our society. Uh, we are changing our whole society. If a president says, I'm going to fundamentally change America, but what he means is, I'm going to change the very values. I'm going, to, I'm going to undermine the moral foundation so that we can have the values that we want to have. Then, it, then values becomes a corrective to society. We were going here. Now we need to go here. See, you know, is our, is our Constitution a fluid document? Or is it a, is it a what's the, the word, um, uh, a stable document. In other words, it doesn't change. We need to go back and find out what the founders meant. Or does it change with every generation? And that's what it meant back then to them. But now here's what it means to us today. What have you done? You've taken away the foundation so that you can have whatever values you want to have. You've actually changed the morals. The morals used to be this Constitution that, that meant this in the 1700s. But now the Constitution means this in the, in the year 2000. And so the same thing happens with Scripture, doesn't it? We begin to reinterpret Scripture until uh, it means what we want it to mean today. I think that's what's happened with evolution, uh, with theistic evolution. It, it, we used to take the Bible for what it says about Gen in Genesis 1 and 2, and now we have all kinds of biblical interpretation that allows us to have all kinds of evolution in it. And so uh, we have no problem then in our schools. We have no problem with, with the evolutionists of today. Okay. Oliver Wendell Holmes put it this way once. In an in a essay he wrote on common law, he said, Truth has become the majority vote of that nation that can lick all others. He said, So when it comes to the development of a corpus juris, the ultimate question is what do the dominant forces of the community want, and do they want it hard enough to disregard whatever inhibitions must stand in the way? Oliver Wendell Holmes. Have you heard this week, for example, we have had a year of riot, of protesting, excuse me, don't use the word riot. We had a year of protesting, right? And now we're seeing more of it in the 
in the campaign. Why is it that law-abiding people can go out to protest, which you're allowed to do, but then destroy people's property, break the laws, keep other people from having their rights and all of that, and do it with no disregard? Because, that, because their value is this. So, the, you know, you happen to label someone with a swear word like uh, racist or something like that, then now your values mean I can do anything to them that I want to do because they're not worth hearing, right? So we change our values, and our values allows us to do anything. So, so values can be a corrective tool for society when, when you want it to be. In, in John chapter 7, you know, Nicodemus, I'm going to talk about Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. They, they were in the Sanhedrin, and they had commanded Nicodemus to go hear Jesus and catch him in his speech and come back here and report it so that we can arrest him. And Nicodemus came back and said, you know, I don't think you want to arrest him because I don't think he's saying what you think he's saying. <laughs> And they said, we don't care. Go find something because we need to put this guy to death. You find something on him that we want you to find. And that's kind of what happens in society. Now, real quickly, I just have five minutes left. Values can make you stick out and yet be right. You, you can adopt certain values, and if you do, you're going to stick out in society, but you have to do it because you're right. Number one, values can ruin a relationship with a brother, Cain and Abel. And, and John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, why did Cain slay uh, Abel? Because his works were wicked and his brothers were righteous, and that bothered him to no end. His, brothers, his brother Abel had values that he would not break. God said bring a, a sacrifice like this. He wasn't about to bring any other. Cain had already uh, decided my values are worth more than God's directive. So I'll bring the offering I want to bring. And then he's not accepted. He's upset. And so he kills Abel because Abel was righteous. And he was not. Typical thing that happens in society. So... Uh, you know, we can, you may be labeled pious, you may be labeled right-wing, uh, pushing your values on somebody else, uh, even though all you're doing is saying, I think this is wrong, I can't do that, or I have to do this kind of thing. Secondly, values can spoil your chances for a work promotion. So we talked about work a, a minute ago. But uh, think, of, think of Joseph in Potiphar's house when Potiphar's wife makes an advance on him, and so he runs. Now, he would have been better off to adopt her values and go on with that and not be caught, and he wouldn't have lost his job. But he could not, and he had to do what he had to do because he believed God. And not, he, his values were based on, thus saith the Lord, and not on... Uh, what her values were based on. So what happened? He ended up in prison. He, he ended up losing everything. And she, uh, as long as she could do that, had no problem lying either because, you know, one moral transgression leads to another. And so, hey, he, you know, this is what he did. He tried to seduce me, which was a lie, of course, but everyone believed it. 
you know, I, I know some of you uh, work in, in uh, places and around people where maybe not that specific pressure, but I mean, you have pressure all the time to kind of dip your, your standards, your morality or your values. Uh, I, I know uh, uh, Bob and Kevin, you guys that drive around and you have to go meet, you have to meet with people and spend time and have dinner with them and, and the rest with, with lost people. And, and they don't know the Lord. They, they don't have a foundation. And so their values are all over the map, of course. And, you know, and so I, I know I, I've heard you say, and, and many people say, so you're, you're there as a Christian around all these other Christians. Maybe you all go out to dinner. They're going to drink themselves silly, and you're not going to. So you stick out, right? And you have to kind of find a way to make that work and do it, uh, regardless of what that cost is to you personally. So I, I'm saying it could, it could hurt you in your business. I mean, you, you could be demoted or you could be fired because these people don't like having you around, you know, because that's your value. You've, you've based your value on something moral. Thirdly, values can spoil the harmony in a family relationship, of course. Many examples of this, uh, uh, 1 Samuel 17, are, are, here's David going out to, to meet his brothers at, at battle, and here's Goliath over there and his brothers uh, uh, are embarrassed that this little pipsqueak, the younger brother, uh, decides he's going to challenge Goliath. And they said, why don't you go home to your father where you belong and quit embarrassing us? Because this is all embarrassing. We don't want to stand out like this. And here's David, you know, is there not a cause, though? Isn't there a reason to stand up for the truth, for the God of Israel? But his brothers didn't want him to. And it caused disharmony there. We already talked about Jesus and, and his brothers and so forth. So one person, again, in the family gets saved and uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't go out drinking every Friday night with the rest of the family. Now goes to church on Sunday morning and the rest of the family does not. Even maybe gives some of his money, <laughs> heaven forbid, to the church. And no one else does. I mean, all kinds of things that can cause problems. Lastly, values then can ostracize you from society. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What, what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do the day Nebuchadnezzar set up the, the big colossus? You know what the answer to that question is? They did nothing. They did absolutely nothing. But everyone else bowed down. <laughs> Everyone else in the whole city bowed down. All Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, did was stand there while everyone else bowed down. And that's usually what has happened in our society as we realize what's happening at the end of the age, we realize what's happening in the world around us, the whole world is bowing down to gods that we can't bow down to anymore, doing things that we can't do anymore. And without doing anything... You're standing out, uh, and it's just the way it's going to be. Ravi Zacharias is a guy that I, I've liked to read over the years, and I've read a lot of his good stuff. I don't know if you, you know who he is. He's Indian-born from India, but a, a very a good Christian writer. I have an autographed book from him, 
My sister, you know Deborah Conley, taught his kids English in school in Atlanta for a while, in a high school there. And I happened to finagle my way into getting an autograph book. Anyway, so uh, Zacharias said, upholding the moral laws and expression of his love in response to the love of God is the sound of the Christian worshiping his maker. The moral law then is not seen as an imposition upon him from without. Rather, it is a commitment born out of gratitude to the God whose love he has experienced. This relationship, undergirded and motivated by love in recognition of who God is, forms the foundation of right and wrong, of our values, in other words. So hang in there, folks. Uh, God still will reward us in the end, won't he? Our, our reward, uh, will, and thus saith the Lord, will still come from him. And someday he'll say, well done to us. And that, those will be welcome words. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we spent together this morning. And thank you for um, uh, Gordon and Joan. We just pray for their absence here, that you would bless them as, as they take care of business and travel back and watch over them. And we thank you for uh, this hour that we've had together. We just ask your blessings on it. In Jesus' name, amen.